Hello, hello. So today I'm going to be preaching from Mark 2, 1 to 12, so I'll let you get that in your Bibles. And for the first time, I think ever, I've actually come up with a message title. So isn't that exciting? Yeah, thank you. (laughs) Thank you, praise God. Uh, So the title of today's message is A Church of Stretcher Bearers and the Greatest Miracle of All. I love a good soundbite. So anyway, let's read uh, Mark 2, verses 1 to 12. I'm reading from the ESV, if anyone's nerdy enough to notice. Um, And when he came to Capernaum after some days, it was reported that he was at home. And many were gathered together so that there was no more room, not even at the door. And he was preaching the word to them. And they came, bringing him a paralytic man carried by four men. And when they could not get near to him because of the crowd, they removed the roof above him. And when they had made an opening, they let down the bed on which the paralytic lay. And when Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic, Son, your sins are forgiven. Now some of the scribes were sitting there, questioning in their hearts, Why does this man speak like that? He is blaspheming. Who can forgive sins but God alone? And immediately Jesus, perceiving in his spirit that they thus questioned him within themselves, said to them, Why do you question these things in your hearts? Which is easier to say to the paralytic, Your sons are forgiven? Or to say, Rise and take up your bed and walk? But that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. He said to the paralytic, I say to you, rise, pick up your bed, and go home. And he rose and immediately picked up his bed and went out before them all, so that they were all amazed and glorified God, saying, We never saw anything like this. So let's dive in. First of all, It says that Jesus returned to Capernaum and it reported he was at home. So where is home? It's Capernaum. I think Graham spoke a couple of weeks ago about Capernaum. Is that right? Did you speak? Yes. Um, If you weren't there or like me, can't really remember what Graham said, then Capernaum is a small uh, fishing village on the north shore of the Sea of Galilee. Um, Estimated around one and a half thousand people live there at the time of Jesus. And in fact, Jesus has some quite juicy things to say about Capernaum. Uh, In Matthew 11, 23, Jesus says this of Capernaum. He says, And you, Capernaum, will you be lifted to the heavens? No, you will go down to Hades. For if the miracles that were performed in you had been performed in Sodom, it would have remained to this day. Uh, I'm going to read a little portion that I stole off a website called Got Questions. Now, don't judge it before you've read it, because I thought it actually really eloquently said something that I was trying to say, but it said it so much better. So I'm just going to read it verbatim. It says this, The city of Capernaum represents many who have been exposed to the gospel, may enjoy going to church, and consider themselves Christian by association. The familiarity with Jesus and his word gives them a false sense of assurance that they are right with God, when in reality, Jesus will one day say to them, 
Away from me, you evildoers. I never knew you. The people of Capernaum heard and saw what Jesus did and said, yet they refused to believe. We can speculate as to why. Would believing cost them too much? Would it it disrupt their comfortable religious life? Would it challenge them to repent of sin and pride, love the unlovely, and give up all to follow? Capernaum had a greater opportunity than most cities to hear and believe in Christ, and the residents would be held to a higher standard of judgment. Likewise, we will be judged according to the light we've been given. If God did not spare Capernaum due to their lack of faith, he will not spare those today who have heard the message, seen the evidence, and rejected his son. We're going to talk about that a little bit later as well. Uh, But Capernaum is where Jesus lives. Um, Now, some of us who come from a a slight charismatic uh, history past have heard quite a common teaching that Jesus lived in Capernaum. He had his own little seaside villa. It was fancy. He had all the bells and whistles, jacuzzis, Yada, yada, yada. It's quite a common charismatic teaching. I've heard it preached from many pulpits. Uh, And they use this idea that Jesus has his own seaside villa to kind of portray that everyone in Christ deserves their own seaside villa and their own jacuzzi and their own butler to serve the mimosas and yada, yada. However, I'm going to quickly refute that just because I think it's worth it because we hear it such a lot. Um, and there's an important message to hear from this. Uh, I think going off both Jesus' teachings on money and wealth, uh, and also the common practice in the first century of Jewish teachers and rabbis, um, he probably lived amongst a family, or he lived alongside his disciples. In fact, it's most commonly thought, uh, based on something it says in the first chapter of Mark, that Jesus lived with Peter and his family. The point, however, that I'm trying to say is that it's not really about whose house this is. It's not really about uh, whose house it is that we're talking about. It's about being true to Scripture and making sure we're not reading our own understanding of God into the Bible. It's kind of slightly illogical to read this verse and conclude that Jesus had a seaside villa in Capernaum. And that because Jesus had a seaside villa, the Christian life should include include blessings like seaside properties and jacuzzis and mimosas and yada, yada, yada. Unless we come to scripture unbiased as much as we can do, as much as uh, if, if we come to scripture using scripture to base our faith on, then we get a true grasp of biblical Christianity and we must not try and bring our own preconceived ideas to scripture. I labor the point slightly and I've maybe got on too long about it, but you understand what I'm trying to say. We need to use scripture to inform our faith and not go what appeals to us. Ah, I think Jesus got a home here, so I'm going to go with it. It's not what we need to do with scripture. Anyway, let's move on and get to the verse. So Jesus is at home. And he is preaching at a house. It might be his, it's most probably Peter's, but it could be Joe Bloggs, we don't know. Uh, And it is so packed that people are spilling out the door. 
There is a paralytic man that they want to bring to Jesus. However, everyone is in the way. What do they do? They follow, if you ask me, what seems like the most logical option. They carry the man to the top of the roof, they just deconstruct the roof, and they lower the paralytic man down. Simple. How desperate are we for God to move in our lives? The men didn't bring the man close to Jesus where he was preaching, noticed that there were too many people in the way, and decided that they were going to come back another day. They climbed on top of the roof and ripped the whole roof off the building. Well, they made a hole. They probably didn't take the whole roof off. There are moments in everyone's life where we need God to move. How do you come to the Lord with those things? How do you approach the Lord? And when you reach resistance, think uh, and think this is far enough. What am I saying? Do you approach the Lord, and when you reach resistance, think this is far enough? Or do you tear the whole house down? Or do you tear house and home to reach your Savior? But interestingly, this verse is about our brothers. The man himself was paralytic. He couldn't move. It was his brothers, it was his fellows that had the faith for his healing that they committed the criminal damage, not him. It says, when Jesus saw their faith, their faith, the word is plural. It's not just the man who had faith for his own healing, but it is his friends, his fellows. A question we must ask ourselves is this. What do we have faith for? Who are we contending for in action and in prayer? As brothers and sisters, we are knitted together in Christ and we need to stand up for one another. In the 21st century, in the here and now, we can't necessarily pick up our brothers or sisters and carry them to the feet of Jesus, roof destroying and all. But we can. And we do roof destroying and all when we contend for our brothers and our sisters in prayer we do tear down house and home to bring our fellows to christ when we pray for our brothers we bring them to christ just like the people did bring that paralytic man to christ and i don't know about you but personally reading this i long for brotherhood like this in the church sometimes when we finally remember to pray, we can become so self-absorbed with ourselves, or at least I can, I know, that I become blind to the needs of my brothers and sisters amongst us. But I long, I long for both myself and us to become stretcher bearers. I love how Paul opens his letter to the Romans. He says, first, I thank my God through Jesus Christ for all of you, because your faith is proclaimed in all the world. For God is my witness, whom I serve with my spirit in the gospel of his Son, that without ceasing I mention you always in my prayers. And he opens other letters like that as well. I long for us to become stretcher bearers. Next week, we're uh, going to finish, uh, not finish, we're going to start our new series on prayer. Last week, we finished First John. It was amazing. Uh, we're doing alternate weeks. I think Mark, prayer, Mark, prayer. So we're going to start our new series on prayer. And I'm so excited to do this together. I'm so excited personally and both corporately to learn how to pray 
and how to contend for one another. I'm so excited for God to bring us closer together in prayer. And I'm excited for you guys to not just be someone that I potentially see on a Sunday, but someone that I'd tear a roof down for, someone that I'd commit criminal damage for, (laughs) metaphorical of sense. And anyone listening, if you want any more information, please speak to my lawyer. We are called to be a church of stretcher bearers. Uh, I'm going to quickly pray because it feels like the right thing to do. And then we're going to move on to the second part of scripture. So God, would you make us a people of stretcher bearers? Would you knit us together in you? Would you alighten prayer in each and every one of our hearts? And would you alighten prayer not just for ourselves, but for our brothers and our sisters in Christ? Would you give us a passion for prayer? Would you give us a further for prayer? And would you teach us how to pray? Amen. So, let's move on to the second part. So, Jesus has the paralytic man in front of him. And after seeing uh, their faith, he responds with this. Son, your sins are forgiven. Jesus gets right down to the issue at hand, the man's salvation. For this man, he comes, or is carried, to Jesus, hoping for a kind of uh, salvation. It's an imitation of salvation. He's looking to walk again. But Jesus ignores this, and he cuts straight to the only real problem in this man's life, sin, his enmity with God. You see, just like me and you, this man was created to glorify God and to enjoy him forever. You know I love that phrase, and I try and get it in every preach I can. And we read from the Westminster Catechism earlier today. It's question one. It says, what is the chief end of man? Is to glorify God and to enjoy him forever. And this is what this man was born for. However, with sin in his heart, he was born at enmity with God. As he is brought to Jesus, Jesus looks at him and he forgives him of his sin. He looks at him and knows he will die for him. All of the sin of that paralytic man, Jesus knows he will bear the punishment for. See, there's another parallel that I'm going to draw from the stretcher bearer. And that is the role of Jesus in our own salvation. What does the paralytic man contribute to his own healing, or in fact, his own salvation? Arguably nothing. Nothing, at least, but faith. And as we read in Ephesians, faith is a gift in itself. The paralytic man couldn't get to Jesus, even if he wanted to. Not only was the way blocked, not only was the, the house that Jesus was in so, fact, so packed full of people that he couldn't get there, but he also couldn't walk. I would put forward to you that it is Jesus who carries us to himself. It is Jesus that is our stretcher bearer in our own salvation. He tears and he tears the world apart doing so. He destroys the roof in doing so to save us. You see, this miracle that Jesus performs is far more than just a miracle. He is prophesying and showing metaphorically the greatest miracle of all. His death, 
his resurrection and the forgiveness of sins. David Guzik comments on this. He says, What good was it if the man had two whole legs that could work and use them to walk right into hell? Jesus got right to the problem. The real miracle here is that the man's sins were forgiven, not that he could walk. But as a beautiful sign of salvation and the wholeness of salvation, that the man that could not even reach Jesus if he wanted to and had to be carried, he is told to get up and walk. And so he does. And he picks up his stretcher and he walks right out of there. That's amazing, isn't it? What a beautiful, beautiful picture of salvation and the wholeness of salvation and what it means as believers to be saved. That this man who couldn't even walk had to be carried to Jesus got up and walked. It's beautiful. And at the same time, he had his sins forgiven. Uh, So, moving on to the last little section, which is about the deity of Christ, the fact that Christ is God. He is the second figure in the Trinity, and he proves this to the people in the house. The scribes ask the question, uh, why does this man speak like this? Why does Jesus speak like this? He is blaspheming. Who can forgive but God alone, they ask. And it's funny because they hold the answer in the very question they ask. Jesus responds and directly calls himself the Messiah. Which is easier, he asks. Well, both are impossible. But in claiming to do both, he refers to himself as the Son of Man, a reference to Daniel 7:13, which says, One like a son of man or otherwise a name for the coming Messiah, the coming Christ. In healing the man, uh, he proves that he has also forgiven his sins, and therefore again is the Messiah. In some ways, claiming to heal the man was harder for Jesus. To everyone watching, there's no actual proof that Jesus needed to make to show the onlookers that he'd forgiven him of his sins. But then he tells him to get up and walk. Can you imagine what would happen if the guy didn't walk? Then everything Jesus said, they would have discredited. But no, the guy, of course, gets up and walks. And he proves to them that A, that he's healed them, but B, that he forgives sin. Or he forgives the, the paralytic man's sin. And this takes us back to the part about Capernaum that I mentioned earlier. Just like the Capernaumians, the people of Capernaums, I've written it down, Capernaumians, (laughs) just like the people of Capernaum, sorry, just like the people of Capernaum, uh, we have the facts about Jesus. They heard and they saw and they experienced And they looked there with all the evidence in front of them that this was the Messiah, this was their saviour, and he could forgive sin. Just like them, we are now. We have all of the facts laid out to us. And the question is, will Jesus one day embrace us as brothers? Or will he say, away from me, you evildoer, I never knew you. So let's, let's wrap it up in typical Peter Renner style. I've plowed through my notes. It's all good. 
It's all great. Uh, so let's wrap it up. Uh, in, the miracle, in this miracle that we read about, Jesus prophesies the greatest miracle of all, his death, his resurrection, and our subsequent salvation. Are we to see the evidence of Christ and become comfortable with the false assurance that going to church, doing the right thing, being the right kind of person, giving to the right kind of charity saves us? Or are we going to turn to Christ and surrender all? That's my first question. And then my second question to conclude is this. Would you become a stretcher bearer for the sake of our church, for the sake of our brothers, for the sake of our community, and for the sake of the wider church and the wider community, the the bride of Christ, would you become a stretcher bearer? Would you look around to the people around you and carry them to Christ? Would you pick them up and commit criminal damage for them so that they could get to Christ? Would you? So what we're going to do is we're going to break off for just a little bit into prayer huddles. And we're going to become stretcher bearers for one another. Uh, If Jesus needs to deal with the big issue at hand, if he needs to deal with salvation, then please let him. But otherwise, let's tear down house and home for one another in prayer. So why don't we get into groups of four or five? Um, and let's pray.